Hey there, language lovers. I'm Shannon, and I'm here to welcome you to episode 21 of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, Benny and I chat with Avi, a participant and now coach of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, who is learning Chinese. And I know her really well because she's one of my language exchange partners. In our conversation, we touch on forgetting a language, how to find your language learning enthusiasm, and how to build a system to learn languages as an independent learner. If you enjoy this interview, or if you enjoy listening to the podcast, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. And thanks to Rachel, who left us a review saying, I have really enjoyed listening to this podcast while driving to work. Before lockdown, I would have been getting the train into London and would just scroll through the depressing news. But these days, with driving, I have loved having that bit of private headspace to listen. I have found it really motivating and the guests really interesting. Everyone is so different and there are so many great tips. I have even booked another language lesson after a short break after listening. Thank you for all the work that goes into these. They're truly great. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your kind words. If you're like Rachel and you enjoy this podcast, then please take a couple of moments to write a quick review. It'll help other learners like yourself find the Language Hacking Podcast and your reviews really make a difference. Let us know what's working for you at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, we really appreciate hearing from you and we read every review. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com slash 21. Now, on to our interview with Avi. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. So I'm here, as always, with Shannon. Hello, I'm Shannon Kennedy. And uh, today we are talking to Avi. How's it going? Very well. How are you? Very good. And we're very interested to hear uh, everything about your story. You've got your own interesting language learning background, and you're not even a native English speaker. Isn't that right? No, I'm not a native English speaker. Uh, I've been living in the U.S. now for a while, so my accent is becoming a little more American, but even my original English was British and not American. It's really interesting how all the places that you live influence the way that you speak and the dialect that you pick up as a learner. Um, but just for those who are listening, could you share a little bit about what your language background is, some of the places that you've lived and the languages that you've learned when you were there? Uh, yes, I was born in Israel. And so my first language was Hebrew, just my parents were born in Israel as well. And at age three, my dad went to Europe to study and I uh, was in Paris. The, my first kindergarten was in France. So uh, I got some French from age three to age four. And then we went back to Israel. And apparently two, three months later, I refused to speak any French. Uh, and my mother asked me at four year old, why not? And I said, nobody here speaks French, so I don't speak French either. Uh, then at age eight, we went to Paris again. My dad got a job. I was there for five years and my French came back. And, uh, apparently I got some really nice accent because of those early years. So that was French. That was my second language. And then we went back to Israel and I got some English in school. I wasn't very uh, good at it. And I definitely wasn't talking. I didn't feel comfortable to talk in English. Then I went to engineering school. 
in Israel, but all the material was from Berkeley in English. So suddenly I was reading English, you know, and at that level, and I said, okay, I have to, you know, do more with this. Uh, and I started reading some, I remember the, the first book I finished in English. That was such a, a kick to, to actually read the whole book. And then I did the, the GMAT. I did the GMAT because I was thinking of going to a business school. And I got 99 percentile on the language side. At that point, I said to myself, something is wrong because I'm not comfortable speaking in English. Most people taking this test are English speakers. So what am I doing? What's, <laughs> what's missing? So I started really training my speaking. I said, there's, there's really no reason for me not to talk. And I started training my speaking in English. At that point, I was 20-something. Uh, and that's where I seriously got into English. Then uh, I came to the U.S. some point later and found myself in a neighborhood full of Spanish speakers. And I like being able to communicate with the people around me. So I started playing with Spanish, but I wasn't really studying. So at that point, I had Hebrew, English, and some Spanish and French, but I didn't really study any of them except for some English in school. So when I got curious about Mandarin a couple of years back, I didn't really think much about really studying it. It came to me through my martial arts. And uh, in order to proceed, I really needed to understand better the literature that goes with it and be able to speak with the grandmaster. And I really wanted Mandarin. And, but I really did not have any uh, language studying power. And I started reading Benny's blog, I found that, and I started reading some other things. And at some point last November, I thought, okay, it's time. I, I, I want to get going. And I chose the Fluent in Three Months challenge in order to do this. I knew it wasn't a, a language course, but I figured what I really need is a way to get into this. And uh, I got much more than what I expected when I signed up. So now I have some Mandarin in me and uh, going strong. And how do you think your Mandarin experience has been different? Like both because of the three months challenge, but also from the experience that you had learned from your other language projects. How have you uh, approached Mandarin differently to how you've done your previous languages? Um, I would say that first I came into it with my mind very open, as in, I don't really know how to study a language. Let's see what happens if I follow the suggestions. And um, part of what happened was, first of all, I realized, hey, this is self-study. I'm not following anyone's curriculum. Yes, I'm using some resources, but I have a lot of leeway to choose pick and choose which way am I going, what's really interesting to me. And language is so wide that finding a focus was really important. And I didn't have that with anything that I did before because I wasn't really going about those intentionally. So here, once I started the, the challenge, I got to make decisions as to where I wanted to go. And the challenge got me started by focusing on speaking. And that was a huge game changer for me because 
already in the first week, I was saying a few words to a stranger in China. And uh, this was exciting. This was exciting. And using the suggestion of scripting and some other language hacking things that I started picking up from other people in the challenge and from getting curious and exploring myself, uh, pretty soon I was able to communicate with a few people. And I could not believe how with very, very little Mandarin, I was able to really communicate. I've seen this a little bit before, but I've never experienced it. You and I actually did a couple of exchanges during the challenge where I spoke with you in Chinese and uh, you helped me with my Hebrew. And one of the things that I noticed was really early on, I was surprised by how much you knew and that you were you know, new to the language prior to the challenge. And you had told me something after one of our sessions about the difference between your approach and my approach. And I think that, you know, the beauty of the challenge is that you get to interact with so many other learners and get to see what they're doing and what's working for them and try it out yourself. So I was wondering if maybe you could share some of these things in particular that kind of basically just change the way that you learn language. So <laughs> that's good. You're reminding me of that one. That was really fun because when we did the exchange, one thing I really noticed was I was very busy with my papers. I was, you know, this word and that word, and I wanted to say this, and I knew it was over there, and that was over here, and a little bit of what Benny says of having Google Translate there to help me find a word. And you, on the other hand, didn't have a lot more. You also started from scratch on your language and on Hebrew, you know, for that challenge. And you didn't have that much, but you were sitting there relaxed, looking straight at the camera and just using what you could produce. That was really exciting for me because instead of trying to get more of it and get all the pieces I wanted, I saw a, a possibility. So then when I made my, my 30 day video a couple of days later, I dropped all the scripts that I had and everything. And I figured, okay, let's see what I can actually say if I just say it. And I think that was a big breakthrough. And I learned that from uh, watching you. You didn't even say anything. I just noticed that and observed your process and said, hey, what happens if I try that? Were there any other moments like that for you during the challenge with maybe other learners? Hmm. I had a few places where, where people were exploring things that were outside of the sort of regular study materials. So at some point I had the illumination of seeing somebody talking about recipes. It might have even been you, I'm not sure. But there's a couple of people who are talking recipes. But I realized, hey, I like cooking. I like reading recipes in many languages, even languages I don't speak. I, I can read some recipes. And what happens if I start looking for recipes in Chinese? And uh, that was really funny because I think it was like week two or week three. My Chinese was so little that that was really a huge mountain to climb. And finally, I figured it out. I took the word for eggplant. I found how to say that in Chinese. And I plugged that word in Chinese into Google. And lo and behold, recipes for eggplant came up. And uh, I read a whole nice one about a woman who's talking about 
you know, she, she wrote the blog about the recipe and she was talking about preparing for her husband, the way he likes it from the street food. And it was really a lovely reading material about something that's of interest to me uh, that I would never have thought to seek out. And when, when I think of people getting started with languages, especially in the challenge, the main thing we center it around is having that first conversation. But you've had, as I said, you've dabbled in uh, looking up recipes and you've also looked into poetry and trying to talk with your Chinese martial arts um, guy. Like, how, how have you integrated those two? Because it seems like uh, another giant mountain to climb to be able to do these very, very specific niche topics in a language. So how have you handled that? So actually, I was not trying to uh, get deeper into the uh, poetry during the challenge. Uh, I got quite a bit into the poetry before. So over the years that I study, I studied both with my shifu and with his shifu, the poetry of, of our forms. So I knew various words, but they were not connecting as sentences. Uh, and some of the meaning was not as deep for me because I didn't understand them as well. So uh, part of my initiative is to study Chinese so that I can learn deeper into that as well. But what I found out, for example, through the challenge was about Link. And Link has a way that I can load up my own material and study. So I loaded up the poetry with the Shifu reading the poetry and, you know, reading it in links, link is, is, you know, getting some depth, but really, um, part of what I learned, a huge piece of what I learned in the challenge was to focus. And since we had a, you know, have a discussion, a conversation with the native in 90 days, I was actually picking and choosing what I study. I didn't spend a long time on the Hansi, on the, on the characters, which I find fascinating and they're part of studying the poetry. But I said, okay, not for these days, not right now. And speaking with Shifu, I'm interested in doing that, but I'm not trying today. So there's, there's things that I decided not to do while doing this, while they are really a big part of my incentive, what I aspire to. How did you decide exactly what to spend your time on? Because you, ha as you said, you kind of have these divided goals and one is your ultimate goal for the language overall, but then within the challenge, you have this 15 minute conversation that you're trying to reach. So did you in some ways combine these to reach that 15 minute conversation or did you find that you wanted to focus on that conversation first before stepping into some of those other goals? Uh, at first I wasn't focused and that was partly in the way that I understood the way the challenge started, because uh, experimentation was really encouraged at first. Experiment with different resources, experiment with different plans, try, try this, that, and the other to see what works for you. So uh, at first I was trying everything. <laughs> all the different resources, all the different materials, all the things I was curious about, things I wasn't curious about because, okay, somebody liked it, let me see what's in there. So, <laughs> I was really all over the place. Um, and then I started making uh, more of a weekly plan. It was really, a, I called it a focusing plan because it didn't have 
like specific 10 minutes of this resource and 10 minutes of that resource. But I looked at overall of the week and I wanted to have enough listening time and enough speaking time and all that. And I kind of made ballpark directions for myself. And throughout the week, I looked at it as like, oh, okay, I need to do some more talking and I need to do some more of this and some more of that. And then that was uh, a big help to how to organize my time. I also, um, one of the things that really surprised me, I don't know if that's part of what you're asking about now, but other languages started kind of bubbling up. It was an unexpected uh, consequence of getting into Mandarin and uh, both Spanish and French that I haven't used for, I think, 20 years, started wanting some space. It was very interesting to see how, how things, and for during the challenge, I just said no. But then after the challenge, uh, you would have given them a chance. And uh, I think you started to really identify a bit more as a polyglot. And I know a lot of people listening, they they kind of have this aspiration to one day become a polyglot. So how how was that transition into accepting that, you know, they were bubbling up and then accepting them into your life and then feeling like a polyglot? How did you make that transition? So this was an interesting transition for me because I apparently I was a polyglot, but I didn't know it. So uh, and and in, in some ways I'm including I'm, I'm an engineer and like coding languages I'm very good with and I know a few. So it's language is interesting to me and people around me that I spoke with since have said, oh, we always knew you're a polyglot. You didn't know that? Because apparently I'm also giving examples from the realm of languages. I'm making all sorts of connections related to languages to other things. So within the challenge, I realized that about myself. It's like, oh, I'm a polyglot. So it wasn't so much about an aspiration for one day. I just realized I speak Hebrew and French and English and some Spanish and now getting into Mandarin, which seems impossible to begin with, but now it seems like, oh, wow, this is really a doable thing. And I'm curious about Cantonese. And then another piece that totally surfaced from within the challenge, I wouldn't have seen it otherwise, was watching everybody's Day Zero videos. And in Day Zero video, the language is, you know, basic, mostly. And suddenly I was listening to videos in German, in Arabic, in Italian, and understanding what people are saying. Like, oh, I didn't know I knew Italian enough to follow this video. I didn't know I knew German enough to pick up, you know, words and simple phrases. I didn't know I could follow pieces of Arabic that way. So I don't call myself somebody who knows those languages, but there's pieces of them in me in a way that, that surprised me. So the realization of, okay, I'm a polyglot has really matured within the challenge. And coming out of the challenge, I picked up French and Spanish again to, to study and, and, and uh, you know, wake up intentionally. And now I'm facing new challenges of planning for Okay, what do I do with three languages? And obviously, I'm not even including Hebrew and English. I'm living in English, and I have Hebrew. Now I joined a group of people uh, doing charades and, and word games in Hebrew. And it's like, oh, I really like Hebrew. I forgot about that because I haven't been using it as much. So it's, an, it's, 
it's a love of language that I have, but wasn't really up and above in, in my life. So thank you for that. That was a huge gift from this challenge. One of the unexpected ones. As far as participating in the challenge itself, what would you say was your favorite thing? I think I really enjoyed uh, becoming part of a group of people who are like-minded. I don't know how you do this, Benny, but you get a really, really nice group of people in that challenge, or at least those are the ones who participate more loudly. So in so many places these days, the, the louder people are not necessarily the nicer ones. And this was a really pleasant environment to, to experiment in. People were very supportive of each other. There were a lot of ideas uh, around. There were people who already were experienced from previous challenges who brought their experience in. Uh, so I think that was, and when I signed up, I didn't even know there was a community and the con communication with others involved. I thought it was a single, you know, thing. So that was, uh, that was wonderful. Um, I really liked the way the course works in terms of how it's laid out and comes out. Uh, it was definitely coming out a little faster than uh, comfortable. It was kind of an avalanche of information coming in. I was keeping up with the main assignments, but some of the other assignments uh, had to wait, but the information was golden. Like I can't wait to incorporate more and more of the pieces that I learned. I just couldn't incorporate all of them at once. There was definitely more than is possible for a beginner first time to master in it, which is a wonderful thing. And when, when people listening are thinking of getting into their own language project, most of the time, everyone imagines the getting ready by preparing the right content in terms of buying the right courses and so on. So whether someone is participating in the Fluent Three Months Challenge, or they have their own tight-knit group of people that they're learning with and getting support from, what do you think is the benefit of learning with that kind of support compared to just learning by yourself in isolation? Like what, what do you think the benefits are that somebody who hasn't learned in a supportive group like this for, uh, hasn't learned a foreign language would not be aware of? I will start with something that might not be the main thing, but the language parties or the dream team, which really meant that part of it for people who don't know the challenge, that's about a few people who are studying the same language uh, speaking, getting together to speak that language. And uh, before I did it, I couldn't even see the benefits. Like I could see the benefits of speaking by myself to kind of, you know, better my pronunciation. Uh, I could see the benefit of speaking with a native speaker or teacher too. But what's the point of speaking with other students who don't know the language either? That, that, that was my, but then I went to find out and that was a big surprise. This, this was a, it was a way for different people to try out what they brought out, to try it out in front of other people, to maybe get some feedback or even just the feedback of somebody understanding you and trying to respond. And it was a wonderful way to experiment with the language in a way that's uh, different than speaking with another native speaker. It, it's, a, it's a different experience and I found it a very valuable tool to, in addition. So I would say if you're studying with a 
small group of people or other to actually spend time not just speaking about the studies in your current language, be it English or something else, but actually spend some time talking in your target language. That, that's, uh, you might be surprised. Uh, the other thing is, even though I like all the resources and I like trying everything and I like experimenting with new things, I could not possibly try everything that's out there. Uh, studying with other people gave me the opportunity to really compare notes and get other people's sense of different, you know, things and, and make more informed choices about what I want to experiment with myself. Also, uh, in terms of the energy, part of studying anything is having enough. We call it in the martial arts, in, in the Shenzhen Wuchan that I study, we call it adaptation energy. And um, you need that in order to adapt to any change. And not everybody has the same energy at the same time. So when you are in a group, there's always somebody goes down and other people can help bring them up. And somebody else goes down and you get more of a sense of how the ebb and flow of learning something new can go and um, keep going. It actually gives you more staying power. So there's uh, that shared experience that uh, also makes it less, more observational and less interpretational. Oh, I'm doing bad, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's getting to see other people go through the same thing changes the, the situation. Now you're actually returning to another challenge to learn with us some more this summer, but in the meantime, you're working on a couple of your own individual projects. Do you want to share what those are? Yes, I'm learning. First of all, I'm getting to, my first project is getting to see how to study Mandarin Chinese, uh, Mandarin Chinese, Spanish, and French at the same time, finding out really how the focus goes and things like that. Figuring out a little bit more about language levels and where I want to go with my language. Um, because I want to be able to speak freely with people. I don't need to necessarily know everything or be able to read depth, but I want to be able to be comfortable in speaking. And that seems to be somewhere in the intermediate to upper intermediate level. And so I want to bring my language there. So I'm experimenting with how to get that together. And I am now able to get into the characters and into the, uh, the poetry and into the meaning. For example, there is a, it connects. It's very interesting. There's something that we say at the end of each form. We say bahu guishan, guishan. And bahu guishan means bring the tiger to mountain. And the deeper meaning, the cultural meaning, and that's part of what I'm studying, not just for the words, but for the meaning that goes with it is to bring the energy, to bring everything that I train home to the mountain, mountain being oneself. And really it's engaging in what we do from a central position. It's bringing the energy and the skill and the discipline into life. So the discipline and the energy building that I learn in my martial arts is coming to give fuel to my language study. So. You, Benny, with the, uh, with the course, have the genius of those skills and the suggestions and the how to structure it. And 
I bring my curiosity about languages and, and the interest, but then I get the fuel from the Fire Mountain School, which is where I study, you know, the energy. I bring that in and I have the fuel to stay curious, to keep curious. When I uh, stop exploring, when I see that my interest wanes, I have a way to recharge. So that gets me really to uh, incorporate all of this together. So that's part of what I'm doing now is really I'm, I am coming back for a challenge later in the summer, but I'm very happy to have that time in between to really incorporate everything I learned into my own system, into my own surrounding so, so that I can use it. So in, in some ways, the challenge is still living for me in terms of the content and what I learned. Okay, so how does that, so let me say it a little differently. I was saying before I opened my mind to just receive during the channel challenge. I wasn't, this is no good, this is, yeah, I wasn't picking and choosing. I was just following the suggestions to see, okay, what happens if I do this? I, I don't get it from before, but I'm gonna see what it is by observing it by doing. Now, after the challenge, I get to process those observations and say, okay, what worked, what didn't work for me? What I do I like, what do I not like? How do I wanna use it or not use it? So this time right now is valuable time of, of rebuilding based on what I've learned inside the challenge. Okay, and like that's uh, definitely lots, lots of great lessons that you've taken out of all of this for sure. And that uh, especially it's influencing you between the challenges and that you've given you that sense of being a polyglot. Um, and kind of along those lines, one question we do like to ask people on this podcast is what is their definition of language hacking? So based on what you've seen in the community, what do you understand language hacking to be? All right. This is something I have not given thought to before. I would say that the first thing for me with language hacking is the, uh, what do I say no to and what do I say yes to? The first thing was, what do I say no to? So with the language hacking, I don't have to go in any organized way. I want to go into something specific. I want to study those, that poetry or I want to be able to read recipes. Yeah, I don't have Chinese, but I can figure out how to read recipes if that's what I want to, you know, if that's where I want to go. So in a way, the word hack is almost like just the word itself. It's almost like destroying stuff, hacking, you know, with a hatchet everywhere. But when you think of a hacker and what they do, they're, they go pretty pointedly into something. They're not usually hacking, you know, and, and destroying in big way. They, they sort of infiltrate into something from a specific point. So I'm looking at language hacking like this. And, and that's really something that connects to my childhood and reading recipes with my mother, because we would read recipes in Dutch, in Italian, and she, she picked up cookbooks everywhere, and we would be reading the recipes. We didn't know those languages, but we would sit there and we'd figure out, you know, what the ingredients were, what the things were, and pretty soon we'd be able to read recipes in many, many languages. So maybe some of my understanding of day zero videos came from those, some of those recipes. So that's, for me, language hacking is, where do I want to go? And not letting the language stop what I want to do in that direction. So 
oh, I need some language here. Okay, let's go get that language. And your method of scripting uh, gave that some structure. It's like, oh, I want to go there. Okay, let me get that vocabulary. And it's not just words, it's phrases. It's things to actually say and hear. And, and um, that's a lovely way to, to go about it. Just, uh, I did choose Mandarin for this challenge because all of our poetry and the teacher speaks Mandarin, but we're also very involved in Chinese lion dance. And we're involved in the community in Brooklyn and Manhattan Chinatowns with Chinese lion dance. And most of them speak Cantonese, not Mandarin. So I can already have the vision of when Corona opens up and we can go there again, even though it's so close, we're, we're now not seeing our friends there, uh, that I can script and study the parts of Cantonese that are relevant to what we're doing with them. And uh, even though I don't know if I'll speak Cantonese, I can hack little pieces and, and be able to communicate and connect with our friends. I think that's a lovely thing to be able to do. So does that answer to language hacking from my point of view? Definitely. I, li I like that way of looking at it, that you can hack the little things and that it's this level of precision of uh, going into into things. So, and, and I definitely think that even though it might be a modern term, I think that you guys were, were language hacking when you were looking at those cookbooks and just figuring it out and just trying your best. So I think it's, uh, it's a, as a, as a concept, it's, it's existed for a very long time. It's just the, the modern usage that I'm always curious to hear how people understand it. And I really like your understanding. So this has definitely been an interesting interview and we really appreciate you coming and sharing your, your thoughts with about language hacking and about the challenge and your own experiences with us. So thank you very much. And we will be. Uh, definitely seeing you in your next challenge. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And until then, I'll just wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. In each episode, Benny and I like to share a key takeaway you can take action on and put it into play right away in your language learning. And in this chat, Avi shares how openness helped her discover a language learning system that's worked for her. She shares how she used her observational powers to understand what other learners were experiencing success with and how she could try out those techniques herself, how she was willing to try everything and did just that, how to know what to say no to and what to say yes to, and finally, how to incorporate the things she said yes to into her system. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We definitely found our chat with Avi interesting. Thanks for listening. And if you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Until next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.